Welcome to Raised Evangelical. I am your host, Stephanie McCowan, and this is a an episode that I did not anticipate recording, so I don't have a guest. It's just me. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to record this, because the things that I want to talk about today um, can be difficult. They can come with a price. But I didn't feel like I could stay silent either. Um... What I want to talk about is something that I've seen happening. So last week, um, the world witnessed the horrific murder of George Floyd at the hands of police officers. And the response to that murder has been powerful. People are protesting. People are rioting and looting. There's a lot of argument as to who is actually starting the rioting and looting, but it is happening. Um, People are taking to the streets to make their voices heard and to demand justice for George Floyd. And not only for George Floyd, but for everyone who is suffering at the hands of the many racial injustices we have in this country, this deeply white supremacist country. Um... You know, I could speak on those things, though I could not do it as well as others. So I'm not going to dive deeply into that today. I think there are people out there who do that better than me. And I especially want to, um, I'd rather use my time to defer to them. And, you know, I will promote those podcasts and those articles and so forth on my social media pages. Instead, I would like to use this time to address my fellow white people regarding our response to to these things. And there have been a lot of articles and podcasts put out there about the right way to respond. What is a great, you know, what are good anti-racist responses to what is happening in the world, what has been happening in the world, Um, you know, since the beginning, the United States has been deeply racist. And I think that we need to come to terms with that and decide what we're going to do about it if that is not who we want to be. There, are, there is a plethora of resources out there that address this. What I want to address today is something that's a little harder to talk about because it's going to hit home. It's going to kind of, you know, hit a little closer to home because this involves a lot of people that, you know, people would associate me with. Um, you know, the the progressives, the liberals, the, the feminists, um, anybody out there with white skin who believes that they are of a progressive mindset and yet, and this is where it's going to (laughs) get, it's going to get dicey, but it has to be said, um, a lot of the responses, not all, certainly not, but a lot of the responses that I see on social media not just this time around, but literally every time there, there are headlines about police brutality or other forms of racial injustice, um, I see a lot of performative allyship. I see a lot of, quote, performative wokeness happening. I see it especially among white women. And white women who consider yourselves progressive, I'm here to tell you, Open your eyes and see that there is a reason why white feminists have the reputation that white feminists have. To be white and to be a feminist 
um, it presents a certain kind of danger to the very people that white feminists collectively like to say that they are allies for. The reason being, at least in part, that white feminists are performative in a very large degree. We say the right words, and this might not directly apply to you or to me. If you're listening, I mean, and you hear, you're hearing these words and you take offense, sit down and listen anyway. The things that, that white feminists have a reputation for are for saying all the right words. And yet, when it comes down to it, the words are just that. They are just words. Because when it comes down to it, what we were really most interested in was advancing our own personal causes and boosting our own signals. This is a problem. And it's a problem that really becomes amplified in times like this. There is a lot of performative allyship, performative wokeness happening on social media right now. I'm seeing a lot of people who will say all the right things, who will get mad or at least appear to be mad that these things are happening in the world and that a man died and nobody, nobody even tried to help him. Nobody did anything. They stood there and watched a man die. A man who, who most certainly did not deserve to die. A man who, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't deserve it. But the, the officer had decided early on what his fate was going to be. And we are all justifiably angry about that. But what I see happen very often in these situations is people who never want to take the risk to discuss these things any other time because they're worried it will cost them something. Suddenly, when it's going to earn them retweets or shares or direct traffic to their blog or get people to listen to their podcast, all of a sudden they have something to say. Yet, when it might cost them something, when they have to put action behind those words and they have to stand by those words, even as opportunities slip away, even as people that they made connections with who, have, who could have some influence for them to you know, advance their career, even as that slips away, you know, will they still stand by those words? Very often the time or the answer is no. So what it becomes is performative allyship. An example of this. <laughs> um, I saw an incident on social media a couple months back. A white woman had written a, a post that took off. Someone else in the comments summarized what her post said, and they did it very beautifully in a, in a way that resonated with people. A famous black woman liked the comment on the post 
and retweeted the comment. The white woman who made the original post took issue with that and made a, another post about that woman and her displeasure with that woman, with this black woman, retweeting the comment on the post and ignoring the original post that the white woman had made. That really bothered the white woman who had made the post. Rightly so, this person was called out for their performative allyship, but this is only one example of many. I spoke with someone, with a, a woman of color today, who said that she has been involved with um, events that, you know, in, in the beginning were very diverse. They had a, a voices from many different backgrounds, um, you know, every demographic imaginable. <laughs> and then white people came in and started speaking over these people and made it so it was a, a, an event for and by white people that happened to have people of color coming to speak. That is just one example of what happens all the time. If we are going to be good allies, and I, I, I'm not a big fan of that word, but for the sake of keeping this, you know, using language that people get, if we're going to be good allies, our motives have to be pure. If you're making a post and your first inclination is to see how many times it gets retweeted, who is retweeting it, what, how, many, how many more followers or friends or views on your blog are you getting as a result? And then you get defensive if someone says, hey, I'm not sure that you're doing this right. I'm not sure that maybe your, your motives are in the right place. I'm not sure that you worded that in the best way it could, could have been worded, so on and so forth. If your response to having your anti-racism challenged by some, especially by a person of color, if your response to that is to get defensive, then I would say it's a pretty good bet that your motives are not pure. Your motives are not about being an ally. Your motives are not about being anti-racist. Your motives are about boosting your own signal and using people of color to do it and using the pretense of caring about racial injustice, caring about the very specific day-to-day -day situations that people of color deal with, using that as a means to boost your own signal, to increase your own audience, to hopefully open up more doors of opportunity for yourself under the guise of being anti-racist. Now, as someone who's written a couple books, I've had a blog, I've got a podcast, obviously, I understand how easy it is to fall into that trap of wanting to put things out there that sound good, wanting to do those hot takes. Hot takes are, are the thing right now, aren't they? Those are the things everybody's putting out there because people think that all the troubles of the moment can be summed up in one or two really catchy sentences and put out there into the, into the interwebs and then everyone starts sharing them and before you know it people know who you are. I understand how tempting that is. 
I understand especially how tempting it is during times like this where having hot takes about doing the work of anti-racism would it would be so easy to, to put stuff out there even if you don't mean it at all and and believe me there are people who are out there putting stuff on the internet sounding you know saying all the right things and they don't mean it at all but they just want to boost their signal it is so easy to do but just know that people see it it is not beyond people's notice that you're doing it i've certainly had my own instances of being called out saying hey you know that's not your place to say that that's the wrong take entirely you know you're right about this but you're wrong about that when those things are said to us our job is to learn our job is not to defend our job is not to double down our job is not to come off with another hot take about some people and because i've seen this some people just don't know how to let people help them and be good allies so why bother at all? I've seen that too. I've never done that, but I've seen that. So white people, I'm challenging you to do better. I'm challenging myself to do better. And white women especially. The performative wokeness I see in progressive circles from white women is literally sickening and people can spot it a mile away so if you're someone who puts stuff out there only when the headlines suit you you talk about anti-racism only when there's a headline to attach to it with the hope that it will get people get eyes on your profile hoping it will boost your own signal Trust that people see this. You're not fooling anyone. People see who you are by looking at your pattern. And if you're only talking about anti-racism when it's a trending topic, then there is work to be done. And my advice, as a, as a white woman myself, I'm asking you, please do not represent all of us that way. <laughs> please don't. Please stop. Because you're hurting all of us by doing that. You're not, doing, you're not helping anybody that you're claiming to be an ally for. You are not helping the marginalized communities that you're claiming to be an ally for. And you're definitely not doing other white women any favors. So please stop. It's embarrassing. It is embarrassing and you should be embarrassed. If you are interested in doing the work, a lot of that work is done quietly. And as you learn, definitely speak out, but understand that you first listen and then you speak. Listen first and then speak. Because as white people in the United States, we have been raised in a culture that has been tailor-made for us. That's not to say none of us ever struggle. That's not to say nobody ever suffers. Nobody, I mean, there are plenty of white people out there who are struggling, absolutely. What that means though, is that our skin color has not made that struggle even harder. Our skin color has not been additional baggage that was placed upon us. 
by a system that determined that our skin color was a problem. So if you are white and you're raised in the United States, understand first and foremost that you have a ton of privilege. Understand that when we begin the work of anti-racism, the first thing we need to do is look at the racism within ourselves. It's very easy to point out the racism that exists in, in the, you know, the systemic racism of the United States. It's very easy to point that out. I'm asking people, myself included, to continue looking at the racism within ourselves and ask, what is it that makes me think I have the right to, to pose as something I am not, to pose as an ally to marginalized communities, only to run away and hide behind my privilege when, when being an ally might cost me something. I have had a few conversations this past week where I have had to confront my own, my own tendency to want to hide behind my privilege when it gets difficult. In those instances, I rose to the occasion and did the right thing, but there have been plenty of times I haven't. So rather than putting posts out there that make yourselves, make ourselves look like the greatest anti-racist to ever walk the damn planet, it would be better to acknowledge that, you know what, there are a lot of things that I do right, but there are a whole lot of things I do wrong. There are times, even if it's a moment by moment thing, where you might do a lot of things right, you might say a lot of, you might say and mean a lot of right things. But are there things that you're putting out there that if you were challenged on it and if it would cost you something, you'd be willing to walk it back so you don't have to pay a price? And that is a question I think every white person who wants to do the work of anti-racism needs to ask themselves, what are you posting and why are you posting it? If there is a person of color out there who is speaking on the same thing, could we elevate their voices instead? Could we elevate the people who have been doing this work all along. I know it's so easy as white people when we come into this work to think that I have arrived, I've got it all together. It's, it's I think, especially early on, that's a mindset that's easy to fall into. But I would encourage you, if you are new to the work, I'm new, I've only been at this a few years, if you're someone who's new, <laughs> um, understand that people of color have been living this reality in this country for literally hundreds of years. And there is nothing that you are going to say that hasn't already been said by a person of color somewhere. So I would encourage you to look for those voices, to elevate those people, to elevate the work that has already been done and not speak over them by presenting yourself as if you are the be-all and end-all, as if I am the be-all and end-all of anti-racism. I'm not. I make mistakes all the time. And I, too, need to work on elevating other people's voices, the, elevating the voices of people who've been doing this, elevating people of color, elevating the work that's already been done, instead of always, always, always putting the focus on myself.
I think that performative wokeness is a problem, and it's a big problem. It's counterproductive on every level. There is nothing redemptive about it whatsoever, because all that does is create further distrust. All that does is reinforce white supremacy and reinforce the racist, the racist ideas that we're supposed to be, um, we're supposed to be against that we say we're against. If the tendency is to speak for or speak over people of color or to only pretend to be an ally when it suits your purposes and will boost your own signal, then it's racist and it needs to be called what it is. I've heard, I've heard some discussion, um, of wanting to use other terms for it. Let's call it what it is. It's racist and it's a problem. And right now in a time where people are being injured and dying as they fight for the cause of racial justice, to be able to sit in the comfort of our own homes and put stuff on social media that makes us seem like we're, we're for these marginalized communities and we're willing to fight on their behalf. And then when it might cost us something, all of a sudden we go silent. It's, it's, it's rooted in racism and that needs to be acknowledged. That's something that we need to look at collectively as a people. And that's something that we need to look at within ourselves. It's very easy to hide behind privilege. I could tell you times I've done it. It's also possible though, to step out from behind that privilege and to accept the consequences that come with being outspoken. I could tell you about times I've done that too. It's cost me a lot along the way. It's cost me relationships with family. Those relationships have all changed. It's cost me friends. It's, you know, when I first began speaking out about these things, I was in um, a network marketing business and I was doing well. I wasn't a rock star by any means, but I was doing well. I was getting bills paid. As soon as I started speaking up about these things, I lost one customer after another, after another, after another, until there was nobody left. But that was a cost, that was a price I was willing to pay. It meant I struggled a little bit more, but that was okay. I will never regret speaking out. I will never regret it. I, I, whatever it might cost me, I will never regret it. And I will never regret raising a son who's also willing to speak out because here's the deal. I do not ever have to have a conversation with my son about, you know, how to behave with the police to have the best chance of walking away from that situation unharmed. I will never have to have a conversation with my son about the fact that the color of his skin is going to be the only thing that people see when they look at him and it's going to be the only thing they judge him by. I will never have to have that conversation with him. I will never have to worry that he might not come home one night because somebody decided that the color of his skin made him worthy of death. I'll never have to worry about that. That is a tremendous privilege. And I hope that in the events of this past week that has become blatantly clear to, to a lot of people what a tremendous privilege it is that as white people in the United States, there's, there's so, there are so many day-to-day -day worries we just don't have. If we're angry, we can shout about it. 
We don't have to worry that we're going to be perceived as, as a threat just because we got angry and raised our voices. We don't have to be concerned that our very presence is considered threatening to some people just by being there. We don't have to worry about that. So taking the tremendous privilege that we have and leveraging it for justice is really the very least we could do. And leveraging it for justice in our day-to-day lives might look like being willing to lose a friend or two by speaking the truth, being willing to lose a customer or two, being willing to have awkward family dinners because you're, you're not willing to keep silent about things. A friend of mine, uh, Charlotte Henderson on Twitter, if, you, if you'd like to follow her, she said the best thing, <laughs> ruin family dinners, defeat white supremacy. Yes, ruin family dinners, defeat white supremacy. Is it, a, is, it a, is it simplistic? Absolutely it is. But here's the thing. We have so much power in our words, and that is why it is so deeply offensive when we use those words in a way that is strictly about performance. So today, I'm challenging white people who are who are especially online being anti-racist with their posts. That's great if you mean it. If you're going to follow it through with action, that's awesome. But if you're doing it to um, boost your own signal, if you're doing it hoping more people will read your blog or, you know, invite you to be part of their podcast or something else, If you're doing it because you have something of your own to promote and you're just hoping that will get eyes on that thing, you're not doing it for the right reasons. And it would be better if you just stopped because what you're doing is causing more harm than if you just said nothing because what you're doing is building a false trust between yourself and people you claim to be an ally for. And then you're eventually going to break that trust because when it costs you something, you're not going to be willing to pay. So it would be better if that's, if that's, What you're doing, it would be better to stop and say nothing. Because nobody needs somebody who is going to not follow through. Because if ever (laughs) there was a time when we needed to follow through, it's now. It's been always, but it's especially clear now that words alone are not enough. There is going to be a price to pay for, for giving up our privilege. The the system the systems of injustice that people want say they want to tear down that's not going to happen for free there is going to be a price to pay for that and if you're going to be part of the solution understand that there is going to be a price it might be a price it might be social it might be financial you might have opportunities taken away from you because you chose to be on the right side of history And also understand that this work is not something that's done overnight. This is a lifelong thing. In our lifetime, I'm 44 years old. I do not anticipate that in my lifetime I am going to see huge changes in um, racial justice. I don't see that that racism is going to just dry up and disappear in my lifetime. (laughs) I don't see anything even close to that happening. But that doesn't give me an excuse to, say, to stay silent. 
And it certainly does not give me an excuse to use that as a platform for boosting my own signal. The sense of urgency does not create greater opportunity for me to promote myself. So I'm recording this today and I'm willing to completely sabotage <laughs> to completely sabotage book sales and anything else um, because these things need to be said. So I hope you're hearing me. If you feel defensive, I want you before launching an attack, <laughs> I want you to ask yourself, why do you feel defensive? Because I didn't mention any names. I didn't point any fingers. So if you're feeling defensive, you need to ask yourself why, and you need to take a good look at yourself and what you're doing and what your motives are for doing what you're doing. Because usually if a person is feeling defensive, if I'm feeling defensive about something, it's because somebody touched a nerve and I didn't like it because they hit a little bit too close to home. And I don't like that, so I'm going to have to create a distraction by pretending to be grossly offended by the truth they just spoke. So... Continue doing the work of anti-racism. Right now I am reading um, the book How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. I also recommend the book Me and White Supremacy by Leila Sayad. Uh, there are many resources out there. I will include more in the episode description. But thank you for hearing me. And I hope you'll take this in the spirit in which it was spoken, which is I'm angry. I am fed up with people performing allyship and not following through because it makes everybody look bad. <laughs> and we can all do better and we need to do better. I'll talk to you again soon.